This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. When the story first broke about the latest school shooting, tragic as it was, it attracted the attention of the nation because of two different things. The first was the shooter, first identified as a woman, and then later as a so-called transgender man. And the other was the target, a Christian school. So why is the legacy media not covering both of those aspects very well? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. How are journalists dealing with the religious elements of this story, especially those linked to the shooter's family and school history? Well, you can take this almost day by day, but when the story broke, there was almost no discussion at the level of headlines and major coverage of the fact that this was an attack on a Christian school. I mean, we, we heard the name, but if you look at the headlines, there's really no sense that this was an attack that targeted a Christian school. The who, what, when, where, why, and how, the why is really important in this case, but in this case, so is the who. And what is fascinating is that the longer we go into the coverage, we're on day three now, basically, the longer you go into the coverage, the less the elite press has been interested in the shooter at all. And even in the Nashville paper, which has tons of good coverage, we're seeing all kinds of stories about the heroic policemen. We're seeing stories about the, the grieving church. And we're seeing lots and lots of stories about gun control. But an investigation of who was the shooter why might this particular person have done this? That has rolled over completely to the conservative press, which once again is a sign of how divided we are as a culture. Because listeners will remember, I would say, well, why aren't the mainstream media covering that? They're not covering it because they don't think their readers want them to cover it. The conservative press is covering it because they believe their readers do want them to cover it. And the other thing I want to say right up front, because we're going to get into here in a second, the fact that very early, first press conference, Police Chief Drake made a, a strong point of saying, we have documents, we have very detailed maps, and the shooter left behind a manifesto that we're investigating. So we got two different questions here that I, I want our listeners to keep separately. One is, it's hard to cover the manifesto if police officials and the FBI now don't put that text out. So we get into the question of why haven't they released the manifesto? The conservative media I'm reading assume that there is no good reason to not put the manifesto out. And I'm not sure about that. We can come back to that point. 
But the manifesto is one issue. Eventually that manifesto should come out. We deserve to know. The whole point of my post the other day at Get Religion, after I had thought about this for 24 hours, is the shooter made it clear in a final social media message to a friend, which was apparently sent two to three minutes before the shooter stepped out of the car and headed into the school, blasting her way into the front doors. We have these words, my family doesn't know what I'm about to do. One day this will make more sense. I've left more than enough evidence behind. But something is about to happen. Now, the evidence behind could be a reference to the manifesto or other notes. But what I want our listeners to think about is this question. How much coverage have you seen in your local media or in national media that you've watched in hard news coverage? Not social media, not commentary, hard news. How much have you seen quoted from the actual messages and words of the shooter? I've been watching the Associated Press very carefully. And from the, from the start, the Associated Press has not been interested at all in the shooter. And in fact, a lot of the original coverage didn't even mention words that the police were saying on the record at their press conference. Why from the beginning was no one interested in the shooter? Well, I think the only thing you can say is that's because of the identity of the shooter was related to the issue of transgender, ideology, life, and asking. There were no safe questions that the mainstream press could ask about the shooter that didn't take them in a direction they didn't want the story to go, I would argue in part because they knew their readers didn't want the story to go that direction. So very complex story. There are things we don't know. There are some things we do know. But religion is at the heart of this because this is a young person, an adult, but a young person still, a young adult, from a very religious family. The mother works in a Christian institution. They had sent their daughter to a Christian school. She was there at least two years, but then there seemed to be conflicts that began in the family the more it went on. And neighbors have talked openly about this with conservative media because only conservative media are asking these questions, or at least asking these questions and printing the answers. It does seem that there was a conflict in the family about whether or not Audrey Hale, original name, before she took the name Aiden and her, changed her pronouns in social media, came out as lesbian and the family opposed that and then came out as transgender, the family opposed that. And there are on the record claims that the parents would not let her dress as a male at home so she had materials either in her car or somewhere else that she used to then change her identity as she went about her life. And early witnesses to the shooting as the shooter was entering the building described it as a young male. There's a lot of questions here. There's no way I can answer them all, but 
religion and conflicts about religious beliefs with sexuality and gender do seem to be at the heart of this. And then we have all of the early statements from the police that the school was deliberately targeted and that the shooter had in plans that they've seen plans to attack other locations, and we don't know what those were yet. So we don't know if the attacking Christian institutions theme continued. At one point, the police openly said she may have been preparing to attack her family, and her mother worked at another major Christian church and institution. <sighs> so one side of the media is covering the religion angle, and the other isn't really. You said that on further contemplation, there may be a valid reason yeah. that the police and the FBI are, for the time being, it will certainly be released at some point, but for the time being, withholding a public release of the so-called manifesto. What would that valid reason be? Okay. This is me, as a reporter, thinking out loud. But, pardon me, I am a reporter, and this is how reporters are supposed to think. We're supposed to be skeptical. And we're supposed to try to come at this from both directions. So conservative media are presuming there's no valid reason not to release the manifesto right now. I can understand that concern. I can even understand a sense of distrust that the FBI, yes, this FBI, is evaluating the manuscript and trying to decide what can come out. Okay. Let's flip this in a, in a mirror and stop and think for a second. What could be in that manuscript that police might still be investigating before it came out? Speaking as a reporter, it could be that the manuscript contains accusations of some kind against her own family, against that school, against that church, there could be accusations by her against them in that notebook as part of the reason for her attack. And the police may not want that to come out because they have no way of knowing if it's true. They have no way of knowing whether they should be checking into that, whether or not they had a previous opportunities to have investigated situations alleged, and I stress perhaps alleged, by the shooter. All I'm saying is there could be things that they don't want to make public because it would be too explosive to put it out there. And that could concern her family and her school, as well as potential links to, let's say, trans organizations. We don't know at this point. It's early in her transition, according to most witnesses. We don't know if, very basic question, we don't know if she's on testosterone. And one of the side effects of testosterone is big problems with a hand, trying to handle aggression and anger. We don't know the facts about that. And at this point, it doesn't seem like the press is very interested in knowing those facts because the subject of gender-affirming care, from their perspective, is very controversial. And it's a big subject right now in Tennessee where it's possible the shooter was angry about the legislature passing legislation to ban gender-affirming care for minors. I've seen reports that it's gender-affirming care for anyone. I just looked it up on the ACLU, which is not a right-wing site. I looked it up on the ACLU, and the law apparently is 
banning care for minors. In other words, adults can consent to transition treatments, but children cannot. And here's a parental rights issue. Parents cannot affirm it for their children as well. So once again, so, so many questions. Don't you wish you really trusted the press more to be asking them? Can you understand why the conservative media are deeply skeptical about the manifesto not being released because it doesn't fit the politically correct narrative that much of yep. the elite yep. media want to push in other stories? Okay, half the country, let's say the conservative news audience, is looking at this, and here's exactly what they're thinking. Can you imagine how this story would be handled right now if a gunman, a male gunman, in a MAGA hat, in a Make America Great hat, had left behind a Bible study notebook or had a room at their house full of Christian flags and flags for a particular political candidate, shall we say, and all of that had stormed into a Unitarian church during classes for young people struggling with gender identity. Do you think the press would be really pushing the personal elements of the shooter's beliefs in private life? So what's the, what is the <laughs> legacy media thinking? Well, okay, you didn't answer, so let's go back and answer that. Of course, they would be pushing that. They would be searching and searching and searching for every possible detail. They would have scoured the person's social media, looking for every possible connection, and they would be asking, who influenced this person? Who put these ideas in that person's head? Is this a Tucker Carlson watcher? Is there some way we can prove that? They would be chasing all of the social influences that might have led to this act. So conservatives are saying, why aren't you doing that right now? Why isn't the media pushing that side of the story in this case? Why, in the mirror image, why isn't that a valid story? And I would say that, frankly, it is a valid story, and both left and right, if you had a situation like this, I would want the press asking as many hard questions as possible and chasing all of the leads they would normally chase. They would be asking about medications. We Early on, we had a statement from the police chief that the shooter was receiving counseling and care for a mental health issue. The press would be all over that if it was the other way. But there's danger signs all over the place. Even when you make a statement like, this person shouldn't have been allowed to purchase guns because she was receiving counseling for a mental and emotional problem. Well, the minute you say that, that raises the issue. Many family friends have said that Audrey Hale was high-functioning autistic and did have emotional issues, etc. Well, autism is a major factor in the current gender dysphoria boom. And that's something that people who advocate gender-affirming care don't want to talk about. In other words, these are people with emotional problems, anxiety problems, and actual problems with mental health. 
Well, you can't talk about that without raising subjects that they don't want to talk about. Yet at the same time, how do you say her mental health should have prevented her from being able to buy guns without discussing the situation of her mental health? The press is really in a bunch of binds right here. The elite press, the mainstream press, the legacy press. They don't know what to talk about, and they don't know what not to talk about. And the issue of pronouns and names and everything else is just the start. So, Terry, I think the cynics, especially on social media, were already predicting as the story became clear, we're dealing with a transgender individual. This breaks the media's narrative pretty hard. And this was a Christian school that was being targeted, uh, according to the police. Many were predicting this story ha has no legs it will be off the, the front pages in three days. Do you think that's even possible now? Well, in a strange way, the withholding of the manifesto draws it out some. The key is this: it is valid to talk about gun control in this case. But I would argue it's more valid in this case to talk about the national mental health crisis in our country. And perhaps screening laws based on mental health and people being able to uh, to call in if they're worried about people. I'm forgetting the, the code name people use for bills of that kind, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Gun control is a valid subject to discuss, but mental health is a valid subject to discuss. And I think, frankly, the key word that our listeners need to be thinking about as they listen to the coverage is you're going to hear people asking, was this a hate crime? Did this fit definitions of hate crime? And the problem, of course, is that hate crimes are things that are done to people who are in groups that our elite press has decided are legitimate victim groups. And in this case, a conservative Christian school with traditional teachings on sexuality, that's not a valid victim group. So the backup to the thought about hate crime is we need to continue to listen to what happens to discussions of whether the school was targeted. It's very clear in the original discussions of this case. The police said in one of their opening statements that there seemed to be a sense of resentment might have played a role in the attack on the shooter's former school. A direct quote from Police Chief John Drake, there's some belief that there was some resentment for having to go to that school. We then later had them say that there were plans for attacks on other locations, kind of a broader attack plan. We need to know what those other locations were. If the other locations were all Christian institutions or even Christian institutions served by her family, that's going to create more of a drumbeat for discussions of this as a hate crime or a targeted crime. But now, in the last day or so, police have started saying that there's no evidence there were problems between the shooter and this school or even problems between the shooter and her family. Now, I don't know where that's coming from, but it's on the record comments. And so it could be that the police are trying to walk back their earlier, very clear statements that this school was targeted specifically 
for this attack by one of its former students from a family in which there was clear, strong disagreements about sexuality issues and the shooter's own change of identity. So what happens to the term hate crime and what happens to the overarching subject of targeting? Was this location targeted? Some people have claimed that individuals inside the school were targeted. I wondered about that initially, but that doesn't seem to be the case. There's conflicting reports, but to me the best evidence so far is that no one was targeted by name. The head of the school, we are told from witnesses, was on a Zoom call, and when the shots were fired to crash through the front doors, she signed off her Zoom call and immediately came out and confronted the shooter, police said, and based on where she died and the position of her body, they say she probably confronted the shooter trying to prevent her from going into the school itself and died right then and there. So in other words, the shooter didn't have to hunt for the head of the school. The head of the school went hunting for her in an attempt to stop her and gave her life. So hate crime, targeting, those are the two key words. And once again, just continue to look and see what media are investigating the beliefs and the life of the shooter and what media are not investigating that. Because if you know if you flip to this around in terms of social identity groups or whatever, you know those questions would be asked. And quite frankly, it's valid to ask them. And I continue to ask, why aren't they covering the on-the-record material we already know about the shooter? based on things the shooter herself said. What are some possible religion angles in this story going forward? Well, we have the funeral coming up for the daughter of one of the pastors of this conservative Presbyterian church. I assume it's going to be a closed funeral. I don't know whether they'll let anyone in the press come in. I saw something move on social media the father of one of the children who died preached a sermon about death and the resurrection, kind of an anticipation of Easter. And there's strong material in that, and I'm considering writing a column next week just about what he said about a week, week and a half, two weeks before the shooting in a subject on a topic that isn't related, but we're talking about Holy Week here. I mean, we're headed into Western Holy Week. And that's clearly going to be a part of the, huh, we're in Nashville, Tennessee. That's going to be part of the atmosphere surrounding the events in the weeks ahead. And I think we're going to learn more about the family eventually. And at some point, the mother in particular, I expect, will make some sorts of statements. I don't know if there'll be any sort of memorial service for the shooter, there normally isn't, and if it's so, it takes place you know, in private, very private circumstances. But watch the family, watch the church, watch the school. What will the school do now for Easter? When will the school return to classes? And were the other chosen sites for attacks, what were they? And were they Christian in identity? And if so, the drumbeat for discussion of that's only going to increase. Make the case with a few minutes here that 
this story needs a religion beat reporter. Oh, well, you're covering, first of all, a religious institution. And that, that in and of itself means the religion beat should be involved. It was an attack on a major Christian church in a prominent Nashville neighborhood. Okay, so there's that. Second, religion has been a strong part of the debates about parental rights, education, and gender-affirming care and transitioning procedures. Religion was already a part of that on both the left and the right. Also, on the issue of gun control, there are religious groups involved in that, and you would assume they're automatically on the left. I would not assume that. There are people that I consider to be very conservative Christians who are interested in compromise, they're interested in knowing what kinds of safety and gun regulations could we add that would pass court muster under our Constitution. And, I mean, someone like Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina has been very vocal on things like that, and he's someone for whom he talks openly about his Christian motivations and wanting to talk about it. So on the three main angles of this story, one is almost purely religious, the second being the family then. Religion is involved there. Inter issues of gender, care, treatment, etc. Religion has been involved in that debate in the state of Tennessee from day one. And then finally, fourth, or whatever my numbers are at this point, the subject of gun control has religious people involved on both sides of that issue as well, including a lot of people who would consider gun control to be a life issue, a part of a consistent life ethic. So, yes, I would immediately put a religion writer on this story and leave them there for the duration of the coverage. With 30 seconds, I've seen uh, two pastors of my denomination post on social media that they have requested from their local law enforcement a beefed-up presence at yeah. their parochial schools. Is that another angle that's legitimate to pursue? Yes, and, and security at churches has been a big story now for a decade. I think I first wrote a story about that 15 years ago with churches trying to increase security. And then we have this other thing looming over us. I don't know whether it's an important group or not. We have the fact that April 1 is National Day of Trans Vengeance, according to one of the activist groups involved in this. Will we see coverage of that event if that event is real? If that group is just a fringe group, so be it. But if there's some sort of demonstration on April 1 for Trans Vengeance Day, there's another angle headed into the weekend to cover. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much for your time. Glad to be here, I guess. It was a tough week. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.